We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, everybody? Welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. It's your host, Jake Burns. Andrew Spade's back with me. We got together. We had a little bit of fun this weekend. So, you know, and I, I said yesterday, Andrew, it was a really, like, first time away from football. It was almost like a collective weekend for college and the NFL to take time away from anything. No football news. Jimmy Garoppolo helped a little bit. But no football news, really. And then it's like a realization of two things. We needed a, a break, a weekend, and not think about the sport, but also the sport has really come to a close for the year, and that's like 26, 27 Sundays until we see the NFL again, and um, that kind of stinks, right? Stinks in a, in a way, but there's also, you know, for, for like the healthy balance of like watching and loving football, I think it's it's okay to take a break from it a little bit. I think you and I have had some back and forth on this a little bit where we think it could come back a little sooner. But for now, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm relatively okay with it. Where are you at with it? I agree with you. It's just I think the hard part for me is that I was actually just saying this today, that the, the tough part is you get used to having all of your Sundays planned out. For, for better or worse, you know what you're doing Sundays, right? And it, so you've got the morning time, but it's not really enough time to really get into something. So you do a little bit in the morning, you have a nice maybe a slow morning, and then you just kind of know from one through the evening you are – you're a football guy. And so sometimes maybe there's something that'll come up and it'll cause you to skip the afternoon games or whatever. But for the most part, I mean, speaking for myself, I'm dialed in that did the default on Sundays from September through January is football. So now ha- not having that, you get this sort of weird thing where I, I found myself kind of standing in my house today at about four, like, what else do I do? What? <laughs> What do I do when I'm not just kind of plop, plopping down on the couch to to watch the Cardinals and Chargers in the late window? It, like, yep. And not with a great degree of interest, just because it's football and it's on, so I might as well. So I, I got I to figure out what my other hobbies are, what my other interests are. Uh, very excited to see what I was into before September, because I, I couldn't tell you right now. I will, I will say a couple things that always help me is like, golf starts to pick up but we're not even close to that yet the nba all-star game which we're going to talk about here in a minute very briefly i know that's not what you tune in for but um like the nba's 
real stretch of like these guys start taking it super serious is after the all-star break. So that hasn't hit yet. And obviously baseball hasn't really come back yet. I mean, the opening part of baseball, more of the story is March, April is a great stretch of, of, of sports, right? Even if you're not interested in college basketball, which I have faded away from that sport, which I grew up loving, just, you don't have enough time to care for everything the way you used to. Um, like you still at least get March madness and that's fun. This is the really weird stretch. So we're going to try to continue to do our like, uh, wrap ups of the season. We have some more positions on defense to go through here. And then really as this week gets going, we'll start to learn more about who's going to be franchise tagged and have more dynamic conversations around guys. The Browns could potentially pursue, right? Um, as for the rest of this show, we have to do our bit on what is everyone mad about online? That's always a thing. And I think we have a good one kind of previewed it a second ago. And then we want to answer a couple questions that were missed from the mailbag, which I did yesterday that we didn't get to. So we'll get to that. And then, We'll take a break and then we'll we'll talk through defensive tackles as a position review. So the thing I think is always funny, Andrew, and it and it's funny because it ties into the NFL too, but the NFL has clearly been a bit more proactive here with this, is all-star game complaints. Bob Ryan, one of the most respected longtime NBA writers, is online tonight, you know, complaining about the all-star game. It's a dunkarama, three-point farce. He's just going on and on. I mean, it's true embodiment of angry man yelling at the cloud stuff right like and i and i get it but i think the thing that is kind of funny to me is the 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 way those used to be played you didn't have asset valuation the way it is now in terms of like these guys view themselves in a way that is i'm a, a part of my future making money like this is a, i guess what i'm getting at andrew between the nfl's avoidance of the of the game because injuries it's clear the nba between the slam dunk contest, which has just gone away from whatever it used to be, which was a lot of fun. Guys are kind of really viewing themselves as I have to protect myself to be as good as I can for as long as I can. That's the way they go about it. You wanted guys to be smarter about how to maximize their money in terms of what they make. This is the byproduct of that, right? Like to me, that's where you get to the NFL is a bit different because it's after the season, so that's trickier because you could hypothetically say guys could play because it doesn't matter anymore, but they have ultimately added more games and more context and guys don't want to get beat up the middle of the season stuff. Baseball will always be fine because it's a static sport. Just always work out there. But like the NBA is in this position where guys have to play hard to make the sport work and they're not doing that. So it's like, I just, I want to tell these people who hate what these things have turned into just don't watch it. If it's not something you're into, then just don't watch it. It feels like to me, it's a showcase for the young kids who are trying to be fans more than anything else and getting online and being mad about it or the pro bowl games or whatever is such a waste of time and they're never going to change it. And it's never going to work in the direction that you remember from growing up. It's never going to be that. So maybe stop complaining about those things. They're not, they're not going back in the other direction. The money part of sports is becoming in the front and center and this is the byproduct of that. I think that's really well said, Jake. I, I don't disagree with any of that. And I think the idea that the right thing to do here is to complain and to agitate for things to change or whatever, I don't – it's weird to me that everybody thinks that they have to come up with their own plan to fix all of these all-star games. Like we're we're all sort of a, a, a commission of one here trying to find out these answers to things. And it's like – it's probably fine the way it is. It probably doesn't matter. I think the Pro Bowl 
for the NFL was not enjoyable before. I don't know that it's gotten much more enjoyable. I don't really spend a lot of time watching it. I, I think the real answer is that these all-star games are kind of a little bit of an artifact of a particular time in the yeah. sports existence where I think it really started with the baseball all-star game in the summer and it was competitive because the leagues didn't play each other. Well, the sports are different now. So the the meaning of these things is just not the same as it was. And it's I, what I would say is this, like with all of these sports and you alluded to at the beginning, like the NFL maybe changing its schedule so that we wouldn't have such a long time between when the season starts and ends or from the end of the season to the start of the next one. Um, all of these sports need to be more flexible because none of this stuff is etched in stone on a tablet that was discovered by Moses in the desert 6,000 years ago or 8,000, whatever. Like it, it's, it's the, these sports are a hundred years old at most. So like there does not need to be any preciousness about what it is or how it's played. Uh, you know, if, in the historical scheme of things, this stuff needs to be much more fluid. And I understand that the influx of money has kind of calcified everything so that things don't really change because if you're making boatloads of money, why would you change things? Yep. But I would be fine if the NBA just said, you know, uh, the all-star game is not really interesting. Nobody really likes it. Nobody wants to watch it. And the players don't seem to want to play in it. We're just not going to do it next year. I don't, what would change is my question. What would, what would change with the world? So, and I feel that's the same way about season length, et cetera, et cetera. I think the NBA actually deserves a ton of credit for pioneering that in-season tournament thing, which did seem to work in terms of uh, generating a little bit more interest early in the season. So that's my overall philosophy. Like the fact that there are still kickoffs to bring this to a football point. Yeah. Like the fact that there are still kickoffs when players don't want them coaches, some coaches don't want them mostly non special teams coaches organizations. know it's not in their best interest. The league doesn't want them because the injuries and it makes them look bad. So what does it serve? Why hasn't that changed yet? I, I will say too, what if like <laughs> you talk about what if the NBA did the all-star game before the season, they did the best players right. from the year before and there did it go. right before the season kicked off as like an inaugural thing, or you did something with or the like Pro Labor Bowl. Day weekend, sometime where people are yeah. like around with nothing to do. Yeah. Or like something with the, um, you know, I, again, if you wanted to get fun with these all-star games, I don't think this is going to happen, but like imagine the NFL draft happens and then over the summer, like rookies and second year players get together for like a game or something. I, I don't know. I'm just like, you're right though, about the sports psyche. The way we've built this is that it can't be altered from the core identity of what it is. And that shouldn't be the way they're thinking. I think the NBA between their like play in tournament and this in season tournament, they're trying to be more creative a little bit here, you know, the, the but, but the NFL could, could really learn a thing or two about this and and another you know another really random tangent is like hey the the dunk contest was eventually going to fade you eventually run out of cool dunks it just you you have run the like yeah the gauntlet of cool things you can do dunking and we're desensitized to it because we also see youtube videos of guys doing crazy things back when like i could get six channels and then all of a sudden michael jordan and dominique are throwing tomahawk dunks down that's the most unbelievable thing i've ever seen now when i can go on youtube and see 14 people do better dunks than in the dunk contest because that's all they do that's all they commit themselves to i just kind of get amazed that people right. can't see the big picture on it's, that it's like if you worked for the same company for 30 years and you did the same team building exercises at the same time of year every yeah. year yeah like all right now it's trust Easy. falls it's like 
I have been doing these trust falls for, I have been watching Steve catch Larry for 30 years. I want to, I would love to see something else. I have another take, right? We're doing takes here now that we're, maybe we're old manning in the <laughs> Yeah, class. I think we might be pretty I, fired up here, yeah. I think that the world, no, 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 not the world, but maybe the world on different different sports here, but the country itself cares about sports way too much. And we have propped this stuff up to like making this stuff, and we're talking about kind of tying it back to the Browns, where how how like the, the, the it's crazy to me that the Bills – are giving $850 million of funds to build a football stadium. And the Browns are trying to do a similar thing to the city of Cleveland. And we have propped these pro sports up in such a way that if you told 100,000 people you can pick a new Brown stadium or 15 new uh, high schools in the, in the greater Cleveland area and these things to help sheltering these different folks and like, no, they don't care. We have desensitized ourselves to caring about anything that matters for people yeah. all because this team we love on Sundays is on TV. So like maybe not what you expected here on a podcast, but this is something that I have come to the conclusion about as somebody who really cares about sports a lot. I mean, I'm talking about it here, but like we care entirely too much and we've turned this into a multi-million billion dollar business. And what do you think is going to happen when assets are at risk they're going to only do the things they have to do to make said money. They're not going to go out and do the things that require physical. If a guy was making $40,000, Andrew, in, in, in like the, the way it used to be back in the 60s or 70s, and they're not making that much money, and then you tell them, hey, at the end of the year, I got a game, an all-star game for you here that you could make 15000 bucks if you win it. You think they're going to play hard? Yeah, I think they are. When you tell somebody like Miles Garrett, hey, you're getting $30 million for the year, you want to go down to Hawaii and play in an all-out brawl football game for nothing, maybe $500,000? No, nah, I'm good. I'm going to rest up for the next year. That's it. That's it. And I don't yeah. blame the players for viewing themselves no. in a very small window of my body can handle this. Imagine you go out and you tear an ACL and you're never the same. And that's awful. So, like, that's where we're at with it. And I think some acceptance of that is what we should be. If we care this much, yeah. accept the ramifications of caring this much. I think it's a good point, and I think that the 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 pivot to the stadium conversation is really is really smart too, because that's the next frontier for for Browns fans. And there was another article about that over the over the weekend, I think on Friday maybe, that from the same folks that broke the news of the Brook Park sale. They mentioned in that article, by the way, that the that sale was disclosed to them accidentally, which is very funny to me. Uh, so, air quotes. Uh, right, exactly. Right. So, so I think. I think you're absolutely right. The idea that there would be, and I, I've said this already, the idea that the city of Cleveland should should take any of its dwindling budget to pay to renovate an existing stadium or build a new stadium for a football team that is wildly profitable for owners that have, I think, quadrupled their value in the team since they bought it a decade ago is beyond farcical to me. And there's no... The, the only reason you would do that is out of some reactive fear that the Browns are going to disappear over the horizon again. And that's what the Haslam's have to hang over their right. head all the time. Right. There's a reason, Andrew, and you know this as, as well as anyone, that these that the, you cannot buy a sports team anymore because they're wildly profitable for the owners. It's nonstop money-making, tax-cut city. Like It's all of the things that are gross happening with owning a franchise because of all the benefits. Why would you not? 
Imagine something you could do as a business owner to get something super valuable, but also millions of people pay a huge tab for it. Just like the, 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 the things that should be business expenses. I just, I cannot believe that that's something that we just allow to happen because I keep thinking back to what you talked about with the, uh, you know, stepping in to put a, I don't know what it was exactly labeled as, but with the Friday night football stuff, right? Were they like, how can we not as a country step in and say, this is wrong. Like this is really wrong, but again, we're, we're out in the weeds here for a Monday morning. Maybe you're having your coffee on the way, like coughing it up because this isn't where we normally go, but I do think it's a grim reality to what's about to happen with the Brown Stadium. I think what we're offering is perspective here. And I, I, it's not to say that you shouldn't be interested in sports because obviously we are two dudes that host a podcast about the Browns. So please continue to care about the Browns and football. Yes, please. Like what I would say and, and what I try and hold for myself is the ability to pivot, right? So I, I care very deeply about the Browns. If – I am someplace and the Browns come on TV. I will get distracted. If, if something is in, you know, if they're playing, I'm not doing other things, but at the same time, it's now like we just talked about at the opening, it's February. So we've got, we've got the next seven months off. So now is a time to pivot, to explore other interests in other areas of life. And, and one of the things that I like about it is, I don't have to, I don't find myself needing to be a sports fan 24 7, 365. So, one of the reasons I go as hard as I do with football is because I know when it's over, I will do other things than watch. I'm not going to watch the NBA that much. Like you said, not into college basketball. Baseball doesn't really do it for me anymore. So, my interest is pretty available now for other parts of my life. And once I figure out what those are, I'm going to definitely dive back into those. <laughs> I'm excited to do that. My point is yeah. that. It's not to say you shouldn't be interested in football. It's have that ability to pivot. And and when it comes to a stadium deal, I think we all need to understand the stadium deals as citizens, not as Browns fans, right? Because Correct. the 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 what's most important for how that is handled, and I don't live in Ohio, so it's a little bit moot for me, but what's most important is for us to understand that as as citizens and how if $500 million goes from the state of Ohio to Jimmy Haslam, it's coming away. It's going away from other parts of the state budget to other things that are important to people that live in that state. So that's that you, you have to have the ability to change your frame from, I like the Browns to, I also like having a school for my kids to go to or roads that are drivable or whatever public good you want to celebrate. Right. Right. I, I just, I'm curious, man, about where this will be even 20 years further down the road. And I don't know, obviously we've all been obsessed with sports for a long time. This is probably a much deeper conversation around some like beer or something, but like where the, I know that fandom has taken off. I'd like to like kind of pivot into where it took off to this point that it's probably at a point where we can't turn back. Like I can't, I can't even fathom if sports just stopped something worldwide went on sports just stopped how people would handle that. Well, we had a little bit of a view of it at the beginning of COVID, right? Because the NBA ground to a halt and that was mid-March. March Madness got rescheduled. All the things that happened, you know, it all the those dominoes all fell pretty quickly. So we, we had a little bit of a view of it there. Uh, and I, I think for the most part, there was a, a one of the running jokes at the time was, what do I do with my free time? 
Exactly, man. Which is telling. Exactly. It, it's, it, yeah, it's it's taken a, a fiber of the the world. I mean, because, again, you're talking overseas, you're talking just different sports that they're this way about. So, uh, yeah. All right. Good stuff. The, the only other thing I wanted to do before we took a break was um, hit on some questions, Andrew, I think you had that I didn't get, uh, didn't, didn't receive when I did the pod on the mailbag yeah. side. Listener Aaron Hitchens sends uh, questions to me via email, and nice. uh, we really appreciate that. Uh, he, and he's he's always got great ones. So uh, two I wanted to get to. Uh, one is about coaching, and it's about what happened in 23. So uh, Aaron's kind of looking for examples of moments where we feel like Kevin Stefanski was at his best as a coach, and then maybe uh, moments during the season where he was at his worst. Uh, so if, if we have examples of that. What he, he and he mentions the Seattle game and the, all the tight end screens that were se- seemingly unstoppable for the Seahawks. Yeah, that's that's a good one because you, the the thing that's a little tricky is you're trying to sort of sort like root through the defense accountability. For, you know, giving Schwartz that credit because you could look at the 49ers game and I thought they played a really good game and had a really good game plan offensively. PJ Walker threw the football to the wrong team two times that he didn't have to. But I thought their game plan and how they gave him answers and things on like and then and then pairing it with how the Browns attacked the 49ers, which is alert to everybody out there, copy and pasted by the four, by the by the Chiefs to an extent in the Super Bowl is definitely one of the games that I left being at that game being like the Browns out coached them collectively out coached them both sides of the ball. Seattle's a good one. I think you would probably get some pushback because of the throw on third down that led to the ball off the helmet interception and people thinking they should have run that ball in that, in that given moment. Uh, so that one's it's up there. It's a little tricky. It's up there. The, the, the first Texans game offensively was a masterclass. I thought they really did a fantastic job giving Joe a lot of answers and uh, Joe delivered the football really well, but I thought that they coached up, coached him up really well in that one. Um, the one I would say is the worst. If we, if we go, we've gone through kind of a couple that were at the best room that the first Pittsburgh game was a real disaster, uh, from, from like who they wanted to be and how they were trying to operate from the very get go through the end. Right. And I think Pittsburgh just had them really game planned up defensively and knew what they were going to be doing for most of the night. So I think I'd probably vote Pittsburgh, even though the defense played pretty well, I mean, really well. We're isolating it to Kevin. I would probably pen it on that one, but I could be missing one off the top of my head. I'm looking at the schedule. That's the one that sticks out like a sore thumb because yeah. you, you all, we already mentioned the Seattle game, even though that's a loss on the road, it was a close game. You've got those two games in Denver and LA. It's hard. I, the Denver game, I think they were finally starting to figure it out when uh, Thompson Robinson gets knocked out of that game. I, I, so I, you know, I, and it's not that I don't think it was, game plan stuff as much as DTR kind of finding his feet in that one. Um, I don't remember the LA game being particularly bad offensively. It's just Flacco's first start. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think it is very much the Steelers game. And I listen, I, it's been, it's been a, months now. I still give Kevin a lot of trouble, a lot of criticism for what happened in that Ravens game week four. I, I yeah. think that's a good point. The decision to hand, you know, that, that ball to Deshaun pregame without really preparing a backup plan and then kind of going into that game, drawing dead, I think is the way I would describe it, was, uh, I, I think I think that was as, a bad, as bad of a coaching week as Kevin Stefanski has had in Cleveland. Because I, I don't, I don't care what the player says at a certain point. And, and, yeah. and I don't think Kevin generally is the type of guy to not have a backup plan. And so, 
people will maybe disagree and say, well, it's a rookie quarterback in his first start against what ended up being the best defense in the NFL. What are you going to do about that? But I, I think the fact that they came out with what they came out with was an in, was was really pointed to coaching as as much of an issue in that game as any other part of it, including the rookie quarterback. If we want to just really quickly do the same for Schwartz, uh, San Francisco, one that he gets a lot of credit for, um, I think, let me think off the top of my head, uh, if there's some just very, because they, they faced a lot. I don't want to give them too much credit for some of the, the bad teams that they played, but they dominated the bad in terms of those offenses in such a unique way. You probably give them a lot of credit. I thought they uh, adjusted second half really well against Baltimore in Baltimore. That's that's definitely one that deserves really some shut them out during, down the down the line that allowed them to get back in that game because if they didn't pitch a, a few shutouts possession after possession and then and then obviously coming up with that turnover which was fluky but still that yeah. that they wouldn't have been able to make up that sort of a deficit. So San Francisco sits at the top. Honorable mentions would be the Bengals opener. Yes. The utter domination to a laughable point with Tennessee. Um. I think that if I had to pick some others, I thought that Chicago was handed a couple touchdowns against that defense. So they really dominated a Chicago team that was coming in pretty hot. So we, we have to reiterate that playing better football. So those are probably it. And then you're talking about on the bad side, Indy. Oh, there's only one on the bad side. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the leader of the bad sides, the playoff game, but yeah. Indy in the regular season is an honorable mention. Totally. And then probably the Rams. I thought McVay had him reeling yeah. in a very serious yeah. way in that mm-hmm. one. That's probably yeah. it, right? And, and the only other thing I just wanted to add is the honorable mention to Kevin for that Jaguars game. Correct. Because I thought that was probably the game where they did have to kind of go punch for punch with them in a situation where that was that was a game they really had to have coming off of those two losses on the road. Yep. It it sparked that four-game winning streak that got them into the playoffs, and I, I think he was calling it really well. And I would say the same thing about the Jets game. Yeah, I agree. All right, good. That's a good answer. All right, what's the, do you have one more? Yeah, one more here, and this is just this is for fun, but I think I would love for people to hit us up on social with their answer to this question because I think there's going to be a lot of different takes on this. So the question is, if you could add any single non-quarterback in the league to the Browns without any trade compensation or salary cap implications, who would you add? One player. I don't – let me think through this. I'm going to hear your answer, and then I'm going to go with, like, uh, thinking through I, – I think I have an answer, but I'm curious if you're going to come up with the same one. Go ahead. So if you're just going for, like, best player, I think that argument would be Justin Jefferson. Right? <laughs> That's mine too. In yeah. terms of shaping the, the the roster and what it would do. I think yeah. – I'm very curious to see what a true – like ass kicking top five defensive tackle would be like next to Miles Garrett. Like it's yep. it's not the way to elevate your team the most in terms of value. Justin Jefferson, I think, is the answer to that. But I just think, holy hell, would it be super fun to see Chris Jones or we we talked about Justin Matabike a little bit yep. a while ago. Like one of these guys that is just at the top of the game, Aaron Donald, if if the Rams wanted to trade him. Yeah, you probably say like Quinn and Williams from a younger. That's a good. That's a great. Name. That's a great name. Yeah, if you somebody you could like have for for a longer period of time. Even yeah. frankly, uh, the kid out of out of Georgia, Jalen Carter with the Eagles. Yeah. 
imagine if you could take like cam hayward seven or eight years ago yes and just like yeah oh yeah no wait hold on there's someone that got that benefit i can't quite remember who it is <laughs> but that guy like cam hayward type of guy precisely i i think perfect. there's just nothing i the what i have enjoyed the most for, from watching the browns over the past since miles has been with the team is when he is on top of his game yeah because he can truly wreck the offense's game plan and I think the one thing he hasn't had the entire time he's been here is one of those guys at DT. Imagine last year before we got the comfort of what Dustin Hopkins provided. Would Justin Tucker have come up in that conversation? I think it's worth talking about. Yeah, it would have. We we, yeah. we got uh, we got to feel what a little bit of that's like this past yeah. year. It was really cool to to experience it, that. It was it was yeah. We we probably haven't talked enough about what a great trade that was from Andrew Barry's perspective. Um the other one I think is just worth throwing out there is uh can can I get prime Joe Thomas back? Yeah. Yeah. Just That'd don't don't have to worry about left tackle. Or you'd say Tristan Wirfs. You'd, sure, you, you exactly. Pull, right. If you're looking at Precisely. a modern player, right. they could have <laughs> could have drafted. Um Yeah. Yeah, I I think I, <laughs> It's tricky, man, because there's there's a lot of different like the thing I'm finding fascinating is how quickly you and I were Justin Jefferson before Jamar Chase. I think that that is like very quickly. Yeah, it's very quickly turned into like Justin Jefferson's the unquestioned leader in the wide receiver clubhouse because, you know, Jamar is it's interesting, though, because Jamar had a great rookie year and then, you know, dealing with injuries his second year and then quarterback injuries his third year. I think he's um he was in that conversation, but it's faded a little bit. Anyway, that's a fun one. Let us know who we missed, didn't think about, or somebody you would prefer them uh, to bring. But like highlighting positions, and it's almost funny because those are positions that we're talking about upgrading anyway this yes. offseason a little yeah. bit, right? I just had the thought of what it would be like if the Browns had Mike Micah Parsons opposite Miles Garrett. That would, yeah, yeah, man, <laughs> that would be really hard for teams to handle. I don't know how you would throw. You would have to run. You'd have to throw with three routes every every play. You'd have to keep two in. Right. You and keep even two, two in. Keep is two in and you'd have to get it out in like two seconds. So imagine being able to, as a defense, mm-hmm. leave the offense with only four, um, you know, sorry, excuse me, three routes to defend, and then the the, the, the you only have to bring four. So you can drop seven, bring four, occasionally just three, and you know the offense is going to keep seven in to protect the entire time just to throw. That'd be a fun world to live in. That's that's the sort of thing where it's again like not the not the probably the value the highest value but you do think like every every offense would look like the Jets look like at the end of the season where it's Trevor Simeon's just like one two throw one two throw yeah yeah man what if they got like prime Nick Chubb that's sad to say isn't it <laughs> hopefully they do again because that guy is. Uh... You, we were we were woke up to what life without Nick is like, and that's not it's not a fun world to live in. So, all right. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Come back after the sponsors talk to you, and then we will do some defensive interior, defensive line uh, review and preview. We'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals, and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hype for all the fun you've had. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket app for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats, like I said, before you buy them. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds, and they're sent directly to your phone. All right, so you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that Game Time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets. Create an account and use the promo code OBR for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co. But I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon, using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. A pretty solid rotation, Andrew, from this group this year, playing inside, which is, which is kind of rare. You knock on wood a little bit here that they can they can replicate the depth part of this being on the field. So you had frontline starter Dalvin Tomlinson, 650 snaps, 36 pressures, 23 hurries, four sacks. He had 12 stop tackles. So how they graded him crucially, they said that his run defense this year was not up to up to what it typically is. I didn't have that big of an issue with his run defense, but apparently the fine folks over at Grading Central did. Shelby Harris played uh, in all 18 games, 462 snaps, 
probably the highest consistent grade from those folks. 22 pressures, uh, 20 tackles, five batted down passes. That's exceptional. Uh, 18 hurries. He had two sacks, 18 stop tackles. Maurice Hurst played in 13 games, 302 snaps. A really strong grading for him. And the, and the 18 pressures in 13 games, really good. Two sacks, 13 hurries, a couple knockdown throws. He had 14 stop tackles and one miraculous Seattle game. Knocked the, the pass in the air to himself, interception. Jordan Elliott played in all 18 games, 466 snaps. Did not grade well in the run defense department, um, but he had 13 pressures, 10 hurries, three sacks, 12 stop tackles. So that's Jordan Elliott, who's uh, we'll talk about in a minute. And then Siaka Ika, after Maurice Hurst went down, took over that rotational spot. He had five games, 103 snaps. He had just one single pressure, and then he had uh, no stop tackles. So not a very encouraging start from Taki Taki, who graded below a 30 uh, collectively on defense at 29, which is something um, for a full season I don't think I've seen. So hats off to Siaka Ika. Maybe there's just only place to go is up. But that's the group. I think, Andrew, it's safe to say it's the most improvement in the team from one season to the next. And I feel like my grade would be a B, a solid B. But uh, I think that you can be uh, yearning for a little bit more out of them. And maybe you had them a little lower. What'd you think? I think that's a very fair grade. I, I think there's a little bit of a curve because they were so desperately bad in 2022 that just seeing them have some life and make plays more routinely was so encouraging. But overall, I I think they really did contribute to the defense as a whole and enabled other parts of the roster to make plays, which is what, what they, the Browns have wanted that philosophically, they don't want the defensive tackles to be sort of leading the team defensively. They want them to do their job and allow other parts of the team to succeed and it's it's a little bit unfortunate that they had to spend so much money to finally get to that point uh, without finding any of that in going the home ground grown route, but they did. And I think the credit they deserve is for figuring out a way to fix it regardless of how they ended up fixing it. And I, it, the interesting part is that they have to do it all over again, basically. Yeah, building building it out and deciding who to keep and who goes because that's I mean that's the conversation that we need to have, which is, you know, they have to make a decision on pretty much everybody but Tomlinson. And I, I know we have sort of talked through this a little bit, but let's let's kind of go down this path again if we can. So, I think that you and I are in lockstep on who we think should stay. I think I'd be very interested in bringing Shelby Harris back. If Maurice Hurst is a reasonable contract, I would be interested in another one-year deal with him. He has to be honest about his NFL style. He's, again, lost a late season to injury. It's the facts of the facts. He can't come into an argue, like an, a contract negotiation asking for multiple years. No team can do that for him. So um, perhaps there's a route to go there. They gave him his NFL life back again. They, they, they trusted uh, him in the, with a camp spot to earn a job, and he did. So you're getting back, you know, Dalvin, Siake, Ika. I would prefer to to go after Shelby and Maurice Hurst and let Jordan Elliott walk and then look at drafting a guy. Do you see it differently? No, I think that's I think that's correct. I think 
the question about Maurice is is health wise, right? Like mm-hmm. suffering that injury when he did. How what is his status like for the beginning of the year? Do you want to wait on him and see if there's a discount, or maybe see how he's doing closer to the season? So maybe he's a, a an addition that happens at in camp or at near the beginning of camp. Mm-hmm. But maybe they want the certainty of somebody else. I I think. I also think because the players that they are losing are one-year veteran-type guys, I I don't feel like either of them, well, all three of them, are irreplaceable by any stretch of the imagination. Right. We'd agree with that. So it, it could very well be that it's the same type of player but a different name, mm-hmm. and I'm fine with that too. If they want to continue to do remixes where they add – Next year is Maurice Hurst because, you know, somebody else is healthier or whatever. I'm I don't have a problem with that. There's nothing that those guys gave me that I don't think another player could give. And then, to me, that transitions to the other question, which is, what do you have the money, the appetite to go after another true starting defensive tackle, like mm-hmm. a, an eight to ten million dollar player? to pair with Dalvin Tomlinson, or is that beyond what you want to invest in that position? So just looking at free agents, we should, we should consider this. If you are interested in the ballpark swing that you are, Andrew, for Chris Jones, he's projected, and they do a pretty good job with this stuff, the projections, four years and 30 million per. So you're talking about a guy who will turn 30 this year, getting four years and $120 million, 80 mil guaranteed. He's great. He's phenomenal. I just wonder if the Browns have that in them, right? That's that's a lot. Matabike, we think, will be franchise tagged. If not, their contract projection, four years, 92 million, 60 and a quarter guaranteed. So he's like 23 a year. Christian Wilkins, interesting. If you want to go a little younger, he'll play, he'll he'll start the year about 28 and a half. Uh, PFF is saying that there's some prove it to him because they have him in a one-year $20 million deal as their projection. They don't think someone's going to well, I think long, they think the Dolphins are going to franchise tag him. That's the that's interesting because I don't see them doing like any of those with anyone else, and we think Matabike is going to get tagged. So maybe they don't think he's going to get tagged. Yeah. I know that we had had that discussion just last week. Maybe they don't think so. Uh, yeah, I mean, if he if he doesn't get tagged, and somebody, it'd be interesting if somebody wants to give him multiple seasons. He's got a little bit of that Joker personality, right? He's got a little bit of that back to his Clemson days. Leonard Williams, another. Right around 30 defensive tackle, three years, 51 million, about 17 and a quarter. The one that's kind of interesting, he'll play pretty much the same age as Chris Jones, is DJ Reader. Get him out of Cincinnati. Yes. Bring him to Cleveland, 15 and a quarter. I know you'd be paying two defensive tackles a decent amount of money, but if you're swinging to like, hey, let's really improve this thing next to to Dalvin, DJ Reader is an interesting target, right? Mm -hmm. Grover Stewart, more of a run guy first, three years, 10 million per. Sheldon Rankins, Tier Tart, Daquan Jones, who had a really good year. He dealt with some injuries, but 19 pressures this past season, a pretty strong run defender. He can play anywhere kind of along that defensive line in terms of like from a shade to a, to a four eye almost really good for Buffalo, but he's 32. If you go swinging for a veteran type one year, 6 million is what they're projecting. Hurst is a one year, 1.75. And if that's the number I can get him back for, come on, come on back. We'll bring you back. But then you're in, you know, like Quentin Jefferson. Javon Kinlaw is a 26-year-old, maybe a swing on an upside type there. And then you're in Shelby Harris, A. Sean Robinson, and Raekwon Davis range. So 
that's your free agent. I mean, the draft is good too. I mean, Byron Murphy's going to be a top 20 guy, maybe top 25. Jerzon Newton, the, the Illinois kid's impressive. Chris Jenkins from Michigan's impression, uh, impressive. Ruke Ohorojo. I, I, I probably Nailed screwed it. that up, but Nailed I think it. you yeah, will tell ourselves that you and I have both drafted him in mock drafts. Mm-hmm. Intriguing long arm prospect. Brandon Dorless from Oregon. Nice player. Uh, some versatility for him. Uh, Braden Fisk. It was a nice senior bowl performance from uh, Florida State. Devondre Sweat, really big, 350-pound run stuffer out of Texas. And then some other guys, people like Michael Hall, Streetsboro's own Michael Hall up near Cleveland. Out of Ohio State is a top 100 player. He's 20, and uh, he's, he's, he's going to be about 22 months away from being 21 when the draft starts. So that's, that's very appealing for a young defensive tackle. And then a lot of people like Dwayne Carter out of Duke as well, another name to – Another name to know. Path to improvement. Maybe they say, hey, we don't want to do the Shelby Harris thing and we want to up that money and go get someone for $15 million. Maybe that's the, the peak of what they want to spend on a per-year basis and reader fits, right? Yeah, I think so. I think that there's a lot of names that fit that are all pretty much in that 30-year-old ballpark. I think the one that stands out to me, because I think there might be a little bit of value, and he's younger, is Tierra Tart. We know mm-hmm. that the Browns put a claim in on him when he was – on the waiver wire towards the end of the season. Very, very weird situation in Tennessee. I think that comes back to some of the Mike Vrabel stuff where maybe Vrabel wanted to keep him and Carthon didn't or vice versa, but it was, it was clear that he kind of got caught up in the wash there. That's, that's a name to me. He was a very, very good defensive tackle in 2022. He got a second round tender last year. Yeah. Like he's a real dude. He's a real dude, and he's young enough that you could still see two or three years of really high quality play. If I was going to pay a guy, twenty seven, yeah, yeah, I would. That's that's the guy that I, other than the you know the top shelf guys, that's the second tier guy that I would be interested in paying. I think if you did that, then you'd want your fourth guy to be a guy in the draft later in the later rounds. Yeah. If you if you can get away with it, but but as you said before, if Hurst is really going to get less than two million dollars, you'd almost be crazy not to bring him back. Yeah. Yeah, and Tier Tart's projected numbers three years, 31.5 million, 20.5 guaranteed. So a 10, 10.5 million number. You could put some void years in that, make it stomachable, right? It's not crazy. You know, I think two highly paid defensive tackles gets really tricky, but, you know, under 10 million, right about 10 million, not that crazy. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about our vision. We talk about how the path to improvement, but like the vision is. We kind of laid out the vision, I guess, already. I think I think that, that, that you've laid out with Tier Tart what you'd like to see. Um, would you have? I guess the question for this path to improvement: We think they need another secondary, really good defensive. Like I think Shelby Harris and like the Maurice Hurst of the world are good depth. I did not think Jordan Elliott is as good as they needed as a frontline player. So if it's not the Tier Tarts, are you comfortable with the Browns potentially taking a guy at fifty-four in the defensive tackle? If they just took a defensive tackle at 54 would you like that or would you not prefer that and you prefer somebody more established in that in that kind of way i i think it needs to be somebody more established if you're talking about somebody that's going to start next to dalvin tomlinson partially because i don't want my defensive tackles being drafted that high uh, other than if you're going to go you know in the the top half of the first round right but like the other half is that just the lack of assets that they have at the top of the draft that's that really I I think that 
I want those assets to go to the premium positions because they've only got two top 100 picks. So to me, both of those top 100 picks have to be, if you could get a wide receiver and a tackle, right? Or a, a wide receiver and a pass rusher or a pass rusher. And I don't know, another cornerback, if you think that's something they need or a, so I, I, that's, that is how I see it. And I think in the situation where maybe they traded down and added like a fourth, that would be interesting to me. But I think the I think the big question here, Jake, is if they want to try and do what they did last year and kind of cobble this together from the guys that are now Hurst was a signing early on mm-hmm. in in free agency, and you remember he signed with um, Tristan Hill this is like the same time. Yeah. They were very quiet signings, yes. Which yeah, but but early, like in March, and yep. then Shelby Harris was was after was in like the summer in yep. almost near training camp. So could they do that again where they add somebody very cheaply soon to just have a guy and then wait to see if somebody else becomes maybe one of these guys doesn't get the money he's thinking and is waiting around and, and takes less to just because he knows I'm probably going to do pretty well with Jim Schwartz and this Browns team. But I also think, I think that the, to me, the whole look at the defensive line is, do you want to spend on an edge rusher opposite Miles Garrett, whether that's Smith or somebody else, or do you want to spend at a defensive tackle to pair with Tomlinson? I don't think you can do both. Probably, which one? Where do you want to spend that money? Yeah, to me, to me, it comes down to like what you mentioned. It's such a developmental position. If you can get one of the highly talented types, the Newtons, the Murphys, you're like, yeah, that's it. That solves our problem. Let's go, right? Let's do that. But if you're saying let's take a guy 54 probably needs to develop you don't really feel like that's the best course of action for where their roster is right now now you could have such a great grade on someone at 54 you can justify it sure but it's really tricky to do that when you're trying to improve the group right away because that's why the sweet spot of these free agent tackles is 28 to 33 so unless you're getting a highly talented guy with their pick that we like you know you and i mentioned i think on friday show that like if they were still picking twenty third and Newton was the guy that got picked there, that would be great. That You'd there you go. Excited. That's your second guy. Yeah, that's an excitable first round pick and hit the ground running. But you know, are we going to wait on twenty one year old Michael Hall, who's going to need to grow into the role at fifty four? It's trickier, right? So it's uh, it's definitely going to need to have somebody signed anywhere from five to ten million dollars at that spot. Well, and and. Having said all of this, looking back at it makes me think we probably are underestimating the likelihood that Jordan Elliott is back. <laughs> yeah, we probably are. He's he is uh, a he, guy. He that, played a fair amount, right? I like he was 40 percent of snaps. He did, and he improved uh, as far as like this is the best he's looked with the defensive coordinator structure. This was it. So there is, if there's a super cheap deal there, it's not the last. It's not the and worst you're, thing. You're talking about a young guy came into yes. the league young. He's yeah. athletic. Maybe that's they're kind of learning the thing that you're talking about, where these guys aren't going to hit the ground running. So, the value in Elliott might be if you can get another cheap contract out of him. Yeah, that, maybe. I, I it sounds crazy. I I have been you're right. In favor of been, moving on for years, but we're probably underrating the possibility. He's only 26, and we have thought that they would be moving on from him for years, like you said. And he kept surviving, kept surviving, and he started for Schwartz. So that means something. There you go. There you go. So. 
we, we would be remiss to not mention that that is a very so that's the vision for 24 <laughs> <laughs> run it back essentially i i think that they could very well do that they could very well do they were good enough but if they want to get better it to me makes sense to try to look at some of these veterans that are uh that are sitting there at that position but they might say hey we need to prioritize that money outside to zadarius or somebody of that like right so that's also very possible. But they're going to bring in – I think you and I can agree they're going to fill the gap of Zadarius's money with one player, a difference maker type player in the D-line somewhere, Agreed. and yes. then they'll try to piece together everything else. It'll be interesting to see if they go edge with that or the interior. Probably not room for both. It would be really cool to have Chris Jones, though, so if he wants to come play in Cleveland for like you know, a couple million, we'll have him. What a thrill. What a thrill it would be. I just think it would be fun to watch. Be a really disruptive interior player with Miles because I th- think of the combos they could do, the the stunts, the twists, all the the way that they could play with offensive lines and where their eyes go. You know where Chris Jones was picked? He he was a uh, second round pick, thirty seven. Oh, nice. Okay. So, but again, that's a guy who's fringe first round, not the fifty four range. Yeah, which is a little different. So yeah. there we go. All right, anything to add before we get out of here, Andrew? No, I, I I think you the the summary is there's one they're going to add or retain one difference making player. It's I don't think there's room for two. So that's that's kind of the how I'm thinking about the defensive line holistically. How do you, who do you think if you had to project of who you know is coming back, who takes another who takes a big step? Does Siaki Ika take a big step? Does does Isaiah McGuire take a big step? Does Alex Wright take another big step? I think, I think yeah, I think it's Alex yeah. Wright. I think it's Alex Wright. I, I think his growth over two years combined with getting an, another defensive line coach who clearly knows what he's doing has done a great job in Houston. I think Alex Wright. I, I think if I was making like a long odds bet, I would take I would take a long odds bet that Alex Wright is starting opposite Miles Garrett week one. I like it. I think that's very possible, right? He's a big dude, huge human, who's gotten better and better. So could be exciting. If, and that would be getting Alex Wright on a rookie contract for two more years, playing that type of football would be the best, the, the absolute best. We also should say before we close, this has been a uh, the interior defensive line, a bad drafting area for this front front office. God, yes. That's why when you ask, does Ika take a step, I'm shaking my head furiously. Yeah. They've, they've we, done awful. Yeah, and we also have to put that into our evaluation of who they should bring in. Do you trust them to make that pick at 54 and get it right? Do you trust them to make that pick at 88 and get it right? I'm shaking my head again violently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, they, don't, they don't have the, – there's two positions, D-tackle and wide receiver, that they have proven that they cannot really find those guys because those are very like pick-your-flavor positions, and the flavor has not been right. It's just not been right. Not to say you stop doing it, but – do you trust them? It's hard to sit there and be like, they picked this guy at 88 and like, I just got to believe they got the benefit of the doubt is, is gone. That's right why there. I think the hire of Jaxie's error is so interesting because I, they're on their third defensive line coach under Kevin Savancy. It's got to, I think it's the only position that they've changed more than once. Right. So it, to me, it tells, tells, tells me a little bit of a story yeah. about what they haven't seen. And I, I know that there is a, there is absolutely an evaluation component to this. I think there is also a development component because Jordan Elliott was markedly better last year than he was the first few years. So I I think as you get somebody new in that position, can that person develop the 
the raw clay of Siaki Ika, for example, that's something to watch. On the wide receiver side, I think that's that to me feels like more of misevaluations. Like the the Schwartz thing, it's not. It was just an. It was an. He never had the requisite skill set to be a, an NFL wide receiver. And then the Tillman thing feels like so far, just a a, a mental processing problem. Correct. And I I would again. It was pretty clear when they drafted Siaki Ika that Jim Schwartz had a heavy voice in that. That was like a big come get your guy type of thing when they drafted him. Like come talk to him. Like so again, we'll see. We'll see if they can figure it out. That's an episode. A lot of defensive line talk. We'll move to linebackers on the next show. Um, it's gonna be a busy week. There's gonna be some pre record. I'll be out of town next weekend, so there will be some stuff pre recorded on these reviews that will uh, put everything in place. But we'll have a full slate of shows this week and uh, get to everything, get to everything we need to get to. So appreciate you guys hanging in. And uh, if you missed the Mailbag Sunday, go back and check that out. Uh, otherwise, stop by the OBR for more continued mock draft content, more continued uh, free agency content before things really get rolling with the Combine next weekend. And then, obviously, we're going to get some franchise tag stuff, and then we'll get some whispers, some whispers about who's going to stay, go, and all the like, right? You know, we, we have... Uh, we're at the very beginning of this so a lot of stuff to evaluate and a lot of stuff to predict and project we'll do all of it thanks for stopping by on this monday have a great monday be well go brown